Hello, friends, and welcome to Medicine Stories. I am Amber Magnolia Hill, and this is episode 11. Real quick, want to let you know that up on patreon.com slash medicine stories, I have put a post with resources, links to my favorite parenting books, blogs, podcasts, etc. I am just going to be rambling at you in this episode. No interview, just me and my thoughts around mothering based quite a bit on feedback I got from you, the listeners, on my Instagram at Mythic Medicine and in the Medicine Stories Facebook group. So, (laughs) oh gosh, I'd wanted to be a little more organized and prepared, but I can't be because I'm a mom. So, you know, here's kind of the theme of this whole episode. Um, I have a super messy notepad in front of me of all the questions I got online and all the things I wanted to talk about. And I'd wanted to organize them more, but just the days and weeks went by and I didn't have time to get it done. And I decided I just have to sit here and do it and do my best. So I got a pen with me. I'm going to cross off things as I go through them. There's no way I'm going to get to all of it. Thank you for those of you who who wrote, who asked questions or expressed what comes up for them around issues of motherhood, including all the non-moms. Um, my, my intention in this is both to bring like comfort and corroboration and a sense of community to moms and to parents in general, but I'm a mom. I come from a very female perspective. Someone once told me I was the most female person they ever knew. I think that's kind of true. So I'm going to be using the word mom. And, um, but you know, certainly applies to dads too. I think I have like two male listeners out there, I'm sure. Um, and so also for people who aren't parents, like if you, and maybe want to be parents, maybe you can get a little like taste of what it's really like. And I'm sorry, cause I'm going to terrify you. Um, but also for people who aren't moms, maybe don't want to be, but have like, want to actually understand what it's like so they can offer true witnessing and compassion to the people who are parents in their lives. I've really realized that among the non-moms, I know there are two types. There are those who who really see what moms are doing and just like take the time to really think about what their lives are like and then to kind of like offer compassion. And those who just like don't even fucking give it a second thought and therefore tend to put a lot of pressure on their mom friends to be different than who they are and to um like judge shit that they know nothing about so here I'll tell a little story about that right here last summer there was a day that I was out and about with my baby and my husband in the morning we were at some yard sales that some friends had and I saw an old friend and she just kind of laid this guilt trip on me like but it was done very friendly like it wasn't until after the encounter was over that I was like what I can't believe she just said that stuff to me like you know she was just like you're just not really there for me we don't really like drop in anymore and you know she was so sweet and it was like all all put in this way that she misses me and loves me and I was just like yeah no I love you I'm just busy I just got all this stuff you know I was really like kind of trying to explain myself the whole time and then afterward I was like 
oh my God, like how is she not for a second taking a step back to think what my life is actually like? like I, I don't even drop in with my husband. I live with the dude, you know, like we're together basically 24 seven, both working from home on our business and raising our kids. And like, <laughs> it's, oh, okay. So then later that day, the whole day, I'm just fuming that this happened, you know, and really thinking like, how is it possible that she was like a grown woman in her 40s who has never taken the time to like think about what it's really like to have a baby what it's really like to be raising children before she comes at me with like her sweetly worded accusations so then that evening i was at a friend's birthday party and it was like summertime so we were all outside and it was really lovely and I see this woman walk up who I know and I've spent some time with and she had been at my house like six months previous or something and had followed up with some like, let's hang out. And I was like, yes, I really want to. I'm so busy this week. I'll be in touch soon. And then I never got in touch again. So when I see her walk up, I'm like guilt stricken and like, oh my God, is she going to be mad at me too? You know, I really like this woman and would love we would like be friends, I think, if our lives overlapped more in basic ways, but they don't. And she doesn't have kids either. So she comes up to me at some point and we start talking and we end up spending a lot of the evening together just talking and catching up. And when we were saying goodbye, I hugged her and I was like, you know what? Thank you so much for for not being mad at me, for not following up with you. And we had talked about hanging out six months ago and she was like, oh, honey, you're a mom you know, you're, you're so busy. I understand. And I was like, I love you. Thank you. Oh my God. Thank you for being one of those non-parents who has taken the time to try to understand what it's like for parents. Um, I posted about this in a mom's group online and heard just some of the like saddest stories about the way that people's friends and family members who don't have kids have treated them or reacted to them or the expectations they've had for how they should be living their lives or how they should be um, tending to that relationship, you know, at the expense of their kids. And so I, I, I really feel, um, I don't know, like, you know, if we were living in hunter-gatherer societies like we did for the first 99% of human history, like everyone would just know what it takes to raise a human being from birth. There would not be anyone who didn't understand this huge, um, you know, human activity that most people do. Most people become parents. Uh, it's definitely less and less over the decades, but still over 50% of human beings become parents so it just is hard that we live in a society though that's like so stratified and living in nuclear families that a lot of people who don't have kids have never even been around the raising of any children and therefore have no idea what's going on in the lives of their peers and friends and family members um so that brings me to this huge huge issue of the lack of a village which like so many women talked about um when i when i put this up online and you know i have one friend i know who like she she i've seen her get like angry like stomping her feet angry at how hard it is to raise kids 
in American society and just how like unfair it is and how, because you can imagine what it would be like if we were all living tribally and there were tons of aunties and grandmas and brothers and people to help out. And when you picture that and you know that that's how it's been for the vast majority of human history, that it's only in the most recent generations that this structure has changed, but you can't have that. There's no way you can have that. It's it's just so frustrating and really does bring up very deep emotions because this living in isolated nuclear families fucking kills parents and especially moms. It is it's so hard to describe for people who haven't lived it um just how much work it takes to raise a little child it's just it i i'm thinking about when i was like in a mom's group um when my oldest daughter was little and there was one time when the topic somehow got brought up of like what we thought the postpartum period would look like when we were pregnant, what we thought we would do in the first year or two or whatever of our child's life. Um, And people, we were all just like cackling, laughing so hard. You know, I remember one woman was like, I thought I was going to finish my doctorate. (laughs) I thought I was going to write my dissertation while the baby napped. You know, we're all just laughing so hard. Oh, I was going to get my business off the ground. And like, you just, if, unless you have support, unless you have like grandparents living in that town or you're already rich and you can pay for like a lot of nanny help, there's just no fucking way you're going to get that stuff done. You can barely take a shower. I can't go to the bathroom without both my 18-month-old and my dog whining at the door. I have to freaking lock them out so I can have like a few moments of peace in the bathroom. Um, I ran into this dad that I know the other day at the school. His youngest is seven now, so it's been a while since it was a baby. And he was like, how's it going? And I was like, oh, just I'm just tired and stressed. Like always and he's like oh why and I was like oh because you know I've got that toddler and he's like oh yeah well I mean can't just relax when she takes a nap and I was like no 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 that's when I have to like catch up on the pile of dishes or prepare food for the next meal or like sweep the floor that is disgusting or package the orders that came in or work on my podcast or call the tax lady I mean it's literally endless, you know, the number of things that are on my to-do list every single day. And it was just so funny to me that he that he thought that and uh, that people think that. I've heard that from other people too, like, oh, you know, moms, they just like get on the couch and watch TV when the baby naps. Like, what? No, no. If If you have that luxury, then you have family nearby or you're rich enough to afford a nanny because there's always more to do and speaking of that never-ending to-do list uh that just is bringing up something that i once read in john gray's book the mars and venus guy this is in when mars and venus collide which i think is an excellent book um but he talked about how women have a never-ending to-do list in their mind and men just don't think that way like they don't have it and of course this is all you know very Not everyone is like this, of course. And of course, there are the folks in between and non-binary people and people who just don't like fit in with their overall gender. And I'm not saying this isn't cultural either. I'm not saying this is like deeply biological, just the way we are. It's definitely cultural. 
But this is so true of all the friends I know. So my oldest is 11 and a half. So I have a lot of long-term mom-friend relationships and I've seen a lot of divorce. <laughs> I myself, I'm not with my oldest daughter's father anymore. Um, but this is a huge problem is that women, we are constantly tracking everything that needs to happen. And men just aren't doing that. So that when it comes to like the Sunday when he's just like chilling on the couch or whatever, and you're just like staring at him like, what the fuck are you doing? doing like we have to do this and that and this and then he's like whoa babe relax you know so this is not my current husband he's really good at helping me track things and we're just really good communicators um, but I know so many relationships that have had that pattern and so that book came out like 10 or more years ago but now the same idea is coming up again in a lot of blogs and articles that I'm seeing around online about um, emotional labor sometimes called mental labor um, so hopefully you've seen this. If you haven't already seen this and you're like, yes, I know exactly what you're talking about, then just like Google emotional labor. Cause it's the same thing. It's just that like women are tracking everything. Women are taking care of all the teeny, teeny, tiny, tiny, tiny little things that have to happen to keep people alive, to keep the house going, to get the bills paid, to make sure everything happens. And it's mostly invisible work. So that idea of invisible work as women's work first came to me when I was in college 15 years ago um, in some some sort of like women's studies feminist class that women's work historically and now is invisible. It's just below the radar of what the culture appreciates, what the culture sees, witnesses, and appreciates. I think I already said that. Um, so it, it just, it's like this crushing weight <laughs> that that crushes the life out of women, out of moms. Um, and like when I was pregnant the second time, 10 years later, new man, you know, I just kept trying to like warn my husband how hard it was going to be. Um, because I remembered from my first what it was like, but then it was still so much harder than I remembered. Like, it, it's amazing. One thing I've learned having kids 10 years apart, it's amazing how much you forget. Um, and But but I'm glad that I tried to warn him, you know, because it did help soften the blow, but he's still shocked by how hard it is. And so am I. Um, but it helped a little bit. And, and so now when I have friends who are pregnant for the first time, I... And, you know, you always want to do this so gently when someone's having their first baby. You don't want to be like, ah, your life's about to get ruined. You know, you don't, you don't want to really let them know, like, how hard it's going to be. But you kind of want some things to at least, like, enter their consciousness before they get completely blindsided by it. So what I like to do is talk about um, how it's going to change their relationship because, Again, one thing that I know from having lots of mom friends and from going through it myself twice is that you will fight like never before when there are not enough resources to go around. There's not enough time and there's not enough money. There's not enough energy for two adult human beings to take care of themselves, to follow their dreams, to make their money. If, even if you're not trying to follow dreams, you're just trying to make freaking enough money to survive. It's really hard to do when... 100% of the time, someone needs to be caring for the little one. Um, it's just like two people get collapsed down to to one person as far as like functioning in the outside world for the most part. 
you know, maybe some couples who've been together for a really long time who are older when they have kids, like have been in therapy already and have the communication down can handle it. But most people I know, it's a huge blow to the relationship. And so basically like what my husband and I have learned is that we have to learn how to fight. We have to learn how to communicate and get through the disagreements. We learn to take a step back and be like, oh yeah, sleep's been bad for the last three nights. Um, you're trying to get that done and there's absolutely no time to do it. And like our nanny canceled the last two days. So, okay, it makes sense that we're at each other right now. It makes sense. I'm still kind of feeling like I hate you at the moment, but let's just take a step back and look at the bigger picture and like know that oh, we'll feel better tomorrow. Um, so it, it's been so different for me too with the two kids like the first mycelia when she was born we had we had nothing like nothing i literally got rid of my apartment and quit my job and sold almost everything i own everything i own could fit into my sedan at this point um like a week before i found out i was pregnant <laughs> i did all that stuff when i was pregnant and didn't know it yet because we were going to go travel travel and work on organic farms so and he had nothing I was 24, he was 21, we had nothing. Um, it was a constant struggle, constant struggle for money. The relationship was very bad. He was emotionally, verbally, physically abusive. I didn't have my own source of income set up at all. I did start selling vintage when she was two years old. Um, but it was just, it was so fucking hard. I remember many, many, many times just crying and crying and thinking like, I love this child with all my heart and I'm worried that this was like the first mistake the universe ever made. I'm worried that this was like a cosmic glitch that allowed me to get pregnant because why the fuck is it this hard? It shouldn't be this hard. Like I'm a good person trying to nurture a, a life and I feel like all the forces in the world are against me. And, and then with this little one, I was able to buy a house when I was pregnant, thanks to the sudden death of my mom a year before. Um, I had a business that was growing and kind of started thriving, like right at the time she was born. A much steadier relationship with a much kinder and more stable man. Uh, we're just more mature too, you know. We were like in our late thirties when we got together. It just worked so much better. Or he was in his late 30s anyway like more maturity really helps a lot so but then I'm also 10 years older now so I'm more tired I, I just don't have like the energy to do as much as I did before so there's really something to be to be said like physically for having kids when you're younger but then emotionally financially as far as maturity goes like there's really something to be said about waiting until you're older. Um, so, okay, I think I rambled on about that stuff enough. Just, just know if you're having a hard time, like this is systemic, this is cultural. Our country, we are the fucking worst at supporting moms. The worst. It, it, like you're, you're punished. You're punished for continuing the species, basically, culturally and financially it's so, I mean, I just dream about like living in a Northern European country, you know, where they have paid maternity leave, paid paternity leave. Like what the fuck? Can you imagine how nice that would be? 
so this is it's we're so isolated and it's so so hard um someone asked if any part of me regrets being a mom uh, i have my moments <laughs> like multiple times a day but overall no not at all i always wanted to be a mom all like the deepest part of me the only thing i ever wanted or the one thing i wanted more than anything was to be a mom um i was two years and four months old when my sister was born and my mom said I was just a little mommy from day one and I just have always felt I love kids I love babies um like I have an AA in child development I know a lot about child development I still keep up on like um you know new books and studies and articles that come out I just I love being around kids. I've worked as a nanny. I worked in a like in a fancy uh, child development center, like a daycare place. Very corporate. Uh, when I was in my early twenties, I love those kids. I think about them all the time. And now they're like nineteen years old or something. It's crazy. Try to find some of them on Facebook. But anyway, I don't regret it. But um, like a friend said to me recently, if my kids died tomorrow, I wouldn't have any more. I feel the same way. I can't do it again. I cannot. It takes too much out of me. I have too much that I want to do in the world. I miss myself. Um, so, but some parents, some moms do. And there is a book that I've heard about. I looked it up on Amazon in preparation for this called Regretting Motherhood. And it's essays from different women who who literally regret it, like would take it back if they could, um, which is so brave, right, to say that in, in a culture that just claims to like worship and value moms while doing everything really to undermine uh, efforts at mothering. But so if you are someone who regrets motherhood, I would check that book out. It seems to me like that would be really um, validating that some people do some 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 women shouldn't have become mothers not that it's their fault that they did at all like it's the deepest biological impulse to do it and who knows what the circumstances were but how hard it's hard enough but if you really regret it man um okay let's talk about sleep really quick so here's something else that i did really differently with my girls um you know, definitely an attachment parent with both of them. Like, it just makes so much freaking sense that we are animals, we are mammals, we are primates, we are hunter-gatherers in our DNA, in our marrow, all of this. So I want to parent as closely to that model as I can. So I had natural births, I had home births, I have breastfed them. I'm still nursing the 18-month-old. The oldest um, nursed for two years and four months. And, you know, we just like try to eat whole foods as much as possible. We use plant medicines in lieu of pharmaceuticals whenever possible. Um, you know, as much time in nature as we can. Keeping them close to my body as much as possible. So I co-slept. I co-slept with the first one until she was three and then we moved into a house that had a bedroom for her and she wanted it. And then with Nixie, the little one, we co-slept until seven months old. And I am a, a huge proponent of co-sleeping for at least the first three or four months. 
Um, so if you don't know about the work of Dr. James McKenna, he is the co-sleeping expert. Um, he's, he has a lab set up. He does all this work around mother-baby sleep patterns. And for me, one of the biggest reasons, I mean, not only because they need you constantly throughout the night and why the F would you make yourself get out of your bed and walk over to their crib or wherever down the hall in a separate room, like it's insane. Just have them right next to you. It's so much easier. Um, but also co-sleeping helps prevent SIDS. SIDS is something, it's a respiratory thing. The baby forgets to breathe. Um, and this happens to all babies in the first few months of their life as they're regulating their bodies to life outside the womb is that I forget what it's called. Um, it's like, oh, it starts with an A. I don't know, but they like take a breath in and then don't let it out or take it out and don't take another breath in. I think it's called, um, and then quickly their body like kicks back in. Oh yeah. Take that breath, take that breath. But so SIDS happens when that doesn't kick back in and, when a baby is sleeping next to another human body, there's this thing that happens called entrainment. The baby's body entrains to the mother's or the father's or the caretaker's body. And so when it gets to that oh, exhale, and then the body like is still for a moment and forgetting to breathe back in, just being next to another warm body that has this rhythmic breathing going reminds the baby's body, take that breath in. So even though there's all this literature out there that co-sleeping is unsafe which it is not it is not unsafe you can look it up yourself look at James McKenna's research obviously there are like protocols you can follow and things to do to make it as safe as possible um, but the prevention of SIDS is really a huge reason to sleep with your baby most babies I maybe I don't know if it's all Probably not, but the vast majority of babies who died of SIDS die alone. They were alone sleeping in their crib or their car seat or whatever. Um, that just makes so much sense to me. So co-sleeping was like no problem with my oldest again, I think because I was younger. Also because I didn't have anything to do. I didn't have a job. I wasn't running a business like I am now. Um, so when her dad was gone during the day and there was even a period between like six and nine months where he was gone all week and I was just alone with her it was so hard but I and so okay again not to say that I had nothing quote to do because of course I'm keeping two human beings alive me and her I'm preparing food I'm like cleaning and catching up on things I'm making sure all her needs are met but I didn't have like external pressures on me the way I do now so it was just kind of easier for me to nurse her to sleep, have her nursing on me through all of her naps. I would just read books while she nursed through her naps because she'd fall asleep on me. And I really treasure those memories and have such fondness for the many books I read during that time. This was before smartphones, 2006. Um, but it was different this time. So by the time I got to seven months with Nixie and she was waking up, 10 times a night to nurse I was losing my freaking mind like I was like people are gonna die like I'm gonna start killing fools I'm gonna off myself I don't know what's gonna happen but I felt more psychotic than I've ever felt in my life um from just like deep sleep deprivation we know how important sleep is like sleep is everything sleep is the foundation upon which health lies so I had been super anti-sleep training um, and I'm still 
very anti-cry it out and they're different things like cry it out is when you're just just leave the baby walk away that's it you don't go back no matter what the sleep training method that we did was like a gentle breaking in over two weeks so like the first night we sat in bed with her we rubbed her back we stayed there but didn't nurse just no i'm not gonna i love you but there's a boundary here where i'm not gonna nurse you but i love you and i'm right here and we're together so yeah, it took about two weeks. We did a program online. You can read like the whole story on my blog, mythicmedicine.love slash blog. Actually, just go to mythicmedicine.love because on the front page there, on the homepage, there's a search bar and you can type in baby sleep and the whole thing will come up. But, you know, I got to that point where I was so desperate, so desperate for sleep. And so she wasn't really taking like long naps either because I had trained her. Like, you get the boob the second you wake up, day and night. So we'd put her down for a nap and she'd wake up 15 minutes later. And at this point, I'm running a business and I'm getting nothing done. I'm falling behind on orders, falling behind on everything. And I I couldn't do it anymore. And my life was so different than it was with the first one. And again, I didn't have these deep reserves of 25-year-old energy anymore. Um, So... I forget what I googled, but I found this sleep training program that we used and we did it and oh my god, it's been like amazing. It's been amazing and I think it's so important. I I feel so good about the fact that I taught my daughter what it feels like to be tired, to like ask to go to bed, you know, when I'm only ever nursing my baby to sleep, I'm teaching her you need this to sleep. And I'm kind of like tricking her into falling asleep by just nursing until she gets so milky drunk that she passes out, which I did with my oldest for two and a half years. But with this one, um, now she knows like, oh, I'm sleepy now, you know, and she's kind of says night night and like points to the stairs to go up to bed. And so basically she has slept through the night every night since we did that 10 months ago, except for the last two weeks when she started getting molars for the first time. And so now we're, there's, there have been like three or four nights in these two weeks where she's been up screaming in the middle of the night. And I'm like, I, I'm not letting her scream like that, you know, and I've gone to get her a nurse and then I'm up for three hours, nursing, putting her down. She's up again, screaming, nursing, putting her down. But it really like felt so crappy the next days. And it's like, how did I do this for seven months? No wonder I felt so terrible. So you know, there's, it's definitely kind of like a blow to my identity as an attachment parent to be like, yeah, I sleep trained. But what I realized is that it's a whole spectrum. It's not pure attachment parenting. They get whatever they want all night long and then cry it out. There's this hole in between and you can find the right spot for you in between there. Um, so this brings me right to, I think what most people asked about which is um realistic self-care oh i mean part of me wants to say like (laughs) like there's no such thing you know like oh realistically wait till they're a little older then you can care for yourself um but of course i i do have things that i incorporate and i do have my self-care practices so The biggest one, though, is just trying to take as much pressure off myself as I possibly can. Like this morning, I read an article on Scary Mommy 
that was, it was about kind of everything I'm talking about here, especially the first 10, 20 minutes of this podcast about like all the pressures that are constantly on and everything you have to do and all the invisible work. Um, so, you know, I really resonated with what a lot of this woman was saying, but there was a lot of pieces in there too that I was like, you didn't have to do that. You didn't have to bake the best cupcake for the school bake sale. You didn't have to vacuum your car floor at that time of night just because there was no other time to do it. Like part of it is not buying into the societal pressures to be perfect and to look perfect, especially online. You know, uh, people talked about this too when I put this out there, like social media making making it look easy. Like when you're, when you've been following someone for a while and she has young kids and you're like, wow, so this is easy for her. No, it's not. She's fucking lying. Or she's at least being, um, she's withholding information. She's being dishonest by withholding information because she's only sharing the good parts and what looks good. And part of me understands that we all have different inclinations for the way we share on social media and that some people, I don't know, just like, it's just not in them. They're not like compelled to share the hard stuff. But then part of me is like, no, like, fuck you. You owe it to the other moms in the world. And that like maybe hundreds of thousands of moms who follow you, even like a few dozen who follow you to be real about your experience. That doesn't mean every day being like, damn, these kids, this is so hard. But just every now and then, like put it out there that you're struggling or this has been the hardest thing going on in my family this week. Like just be real, you know? And sometimes it's just like, give me a break with your super curated feed and this impression you are giving off that this is easy for you. It's not easy for anyone unless you got two grandmas living upstairs who are total dreams and you're bringing in like 200K a year, you know? Um, so realistic self-care, kind of that, that that's like the foundation for me is not trying to keep up with the Joneses, not trying to look perfect. Um, not trying to out-mom all the other moms that are out there. Because I just, we do everyone a disservice when we do that. We really do. Um, Okay, I'm going to segue into something else that this is bringing up before I talk about actual self-care practices, which is a lot of women talked about the lack of community that they feel. And in a mom's forum online recently, a woman posted about this very thing. She's like, I don't have mom friends and I've tried and I've tried. And she had like two and three year olds. And so many women responded like feeling the same way, you know, it just broke my heart. And I, I I remember feeling that with my oldest, um, with this one, I have like all these mom friends built in from my oldest and our small school community, and I'm so busy running the business that I don't even like crave mom friends with this kid, with kids her age. I'm like, whatever, we'll get there when she's in school someday. Um, but gosh, I remember how how much I wanted that with the first one. And, and people were looking for advice. Like, how do I create community? And that's a really hard one, too, because first of all, they have to physically be near you if that's the kind of community you want. Um, of course, we all have access to online communities, and I couldn't recommend them anymore. Uh, I'm sure there's a million Facebook moms groups out there. The one that I'm a part of is just local to my area, so I can't really share that with you all. But I was on mothering.com. Uh, their, they called it mothering.commune back then, their forums. So it was like the early 2000s. 
And that was really helpful for me back then. Oh my gosh, I got so much help and just um, was was validated and like it normalized my experience so many times going to those forums. I'm sure there are so many places online for moms to go to feel less alone. Um, but one, one thought I did have, well, so there's kind of two. One won't work for everyone. So I feel hesitant to say it, but something that's really worked for us is having our, having my oldest daughter in a non-traditional school. And I'm lucky because I live in an area in Northern California where there are a number of school options beyond just um, like the mainstream public school. So I'm able to do this. She's at a charter Waldorf school. So it's free, which is amazing, right? Like Waldorf schools cost a lot of money if they're private. Um, but but what it's given us, because it's smaller, so like the community is closer and we share similar values. So it's kind of like almost any parent I run into in the halls of that school, I know we share some similar values. And that's really helpful. And there's all sorts of charter schools. Um, I don't know, in California. I don't know if they're in every state. I don't know anything. But if there is a schooling, an alternative schooling option in your area that you hadn't really considered because you didn't like think it was your deal or whatever, maybe think about that. It's definitely more of a built-in community with um, smaller schools with different value systems than the public education system. So I'm sorry for all of you who don't have that option, though. I know how like isolating that can feel, even knowing that you don't have that option. But my second recommendation for finding community is to be honest about yourself and your life online. So you're listening to this podcast, maybe you're following me on Instagram, or you read my newsletters, or some of you have been with me since like 2008 online, because my first blog nourished mother back in the day. And you probably like me, you probably wouldn't be here if you didn't like me. And the reason you like me or feel um, I, you know, I don't know, feel, feel like there's something here for you is because I have honestly shared my life online. And so there's little like things for you to, that hook your attention because they reflect your life also. So if I just had one of those accounts where I only posted the perfect photo of what happened in my house that day or my perfect child in their perfectly clean outfit, like there's nothing there for you. There's, there's nothing to identify with because it's not real. So when I do a really vulnerable post that's about something real in my life, um, you know, I get a lot of comments online, which is wonderful. But then what seems to always happen too is like within a month or two after that post, I'll run into a woman I know around town who maybe I didn't even know was following me or like knew that I had an online thing going in any way. And she'll be like, oh my God, Amber, that post, oh, me too and this one time and like and so there I've just created a connection I've just created a chance for friendship with this person because she resonated with my real life with my actual challenges and struggles whereas if again if my posts were just perfect and everything's great you know I might see her at the grocery store and she'd be like hi you know give me a little smile and we'd pass each other by say say our hellos and there's nothing there it's just like this empty cold emptiness <laughs> so so that's my advice. I know that can be hard. Read Brene Brown's work if vulnerability is still really hard for you. She just, 
I mean, I, I was already doing it because I just, I don't know, I just can't be any other way. It's like impossible for me to bullshit. But reading Brene's work really brought it home for me and made me even braver and and what I will share and what I'm willing to talk about and how vulnerable I'm willing to be online. So realistic self-care. Um, for me, a huge thing that I do is not scrambling to catch up on shit once the kids are in bed. Like once they're asleep, I still have the infinite to-do list. And sometimes I do have to do something once they're in bed. But I really try to make those after dark hours just for me. And I usually can only stay awake an hour or two after they're asleep anyway, because sleep is a huge priority for me. Maybe I could even say that like sleep is the foundation of my self-care. Nothing is going to get in the way of my sleep now that I've sleep trained. Um, so I usually take a bath when they're in bed. I love baths. Not everyone does. It really helps me. And I put herbal body oil in the bath because that calms my nervous system. It's a total reset. It helps me like really sleep deeply throughout the night too. Um, I always read books after bed. People often are like, how do you have time to read? And I'm like, I don't watch TV. Like, I just don't even watch Netflix anymore. And I have in my life. And I have since my oldest was born. You know, I love Mad Men. Um, So I'm not, I'm not like against that. And I understand that it's relaxing. It's very relaxing. So I also understand why it's something that parents especially feel drawn to do once the kids are in bed. But that's how I get so much reading done, basically. I don't watch TV. I don't have the time for it anymore there's too much like that I want to be doing with my life there's too much knowledge that I want um, ideas that I want to be pulling together for this podcast or for future books so I need to be reading books so I I don't have time to watch videos I had to just kind of cut that out um as far as like self-care during the day when the toddler is awake it is so freaking hard like I have a list of herbs that I want to be taking every day. I have this like tincture formulation that I made for myself that I'm like, okay, if I can just take this every day, it's really going to help my nervous system overwhelm. And, um, and then my friend Susie's liver pills, mother's best liver pills. I really want to be taking these every day because I need that iron and I need that extra boost of energy every day. Nettle infusions got to be doing that. Um, herbal oximels because I feel like my my stomach juices aren't digesting things well enough at this moment in my life. Uh, so that's four four medicines that all I want to do is take every day, and yet so many of the days, and I'm like, oh shit, I didn't take that at all, or it's during the day, and I'm like, I want to go take this right now. I can't. The toddler's nursing. I can't. She's having a total meltdown over there. If I walk over in the kitchen right now, she's going to follow me asking for cheese. And I don't want to give her any more cheese today. She's had plenty of cheese already today. Um, Plus, I'm in the middle of packaging these orders. So if I go do that right now, it's just, you know, like your attention is so split. Your attention is splintered and fractured when you are the mother of a young child. So these things that are so basic and really would take like a few minutes for me to take those things, I forget to take them all the time. 
or I'm remembering about it, but I can't actually do it in this moment because of this child. Um, so like self-care during the day is so hard and probably like many of you with a young one who's still napping when she is napping, I sometimes almost feel like engulfed by panic trying to decide, do I do some sort of self-care thing right now? Do I do the insane pile of dishes? Do I fill these orders? Like people gave me money to send them medicine. I need to fill these orders, but holy shit, my back hurts. So I really actually want to rub some oil on it and do some yoga, but oh my God, we can't eat lunch when she wakes up if the dishes aren't done. So, you know, it's just like, it's so hard to prioritize self-care. It really is. So I don't really have a lot of advice. I just, I, I feel you. I feel you mamas. Um, so the tincture I was talking about earlier, we can talk a little bit about, about, um, you know, specific herbs is milky oats tincture. And yeah, this is from the plant that you get oatmeal from Avena sativa. Um, oats are a tonic, a supremely nourishing, especially nervous system tonic. So you can make oat straw infusion. If you don't know about nourishing herbal infusions, just Google that phrase, nourishing herbal infusion, Susan Weed, S-U-S-U-N, Weed, and learn how to make infusions. So I put oat straw and nettles and peppermint in my daily infusions, which I don't take every day (laughs) at this point. I think I'm like four days without any um, but I was doing pretty good for a couple weeks there. And then I also take a milky oats tincture just to like deeply address my nervous system because if if motherhood is anything, it is complete nervous system overwhelm all the time. The sensory stimuli coming at you constantly, just the freaking noise alone of having small children or just one small child in the house and never being able to just take care of yourself like we're talking about it's hard to even take a deep breath sometimes like milky oats and oat straw the oat plant in general including eating oatmeal are a supreme ally for mothers um i don't make any of these remedies you can find them online uh something else that comes to mind is motherwort i can't really speak very much about motherwort. I just don't have that much personal experience with it at all. But you could look that up online. Like it's called motherwort for a reason. So that's just a little something you can look at yourself. Um, Rose comes to mind. Rose is so soothing. Rose is like your grandma just giving you a big old hug, you know? Um, even just smelling rose, like the essential oil is expensive, but if you buy some, you can have it last a really long time. Or some companies just make like essential oil of rose, um, in jojoba oil and a little perfume roll on, just like roll it on your neck and chest and you get that smell throughout the day. And it's so soothing. And then of course you can take it internally. Um, La Abeja Herbs makes a delicious rose elixir. A lot of people make rose elixir. I don't, but look for that on Etsy online. Holy shit, it's so soothing and just this very like maternal loving energy. It's like mothering the mother. Rose mothers the mother. Um, I'll say something really quick about nettle here too. It's, you know, just deeply, deeply nourishing, lots of minerals. Uh, but I once heard someone call it the breast milk of mother earth. So there's another mothering the mother metaphor. Um, and then 
herbal body oiling, like I talked about earlier, is amazing. You can use, so I'm not talking about essential oils in a carrier oil, just to make that clear. They're, that's, you know, a really refined product that doesn't carry the full medicine of the plant in with it, but whole plant infused herbal body oils do. Um, St. John's wort oil, mugwort oil, pine needle oil, redwood oil, there's rose oil. There, it's endless. You know, there's so many you can use. I really love St. John's wort oil for moms and for kids. So herbal body oiling is amazing for children. And I hear from customers all the time who got an oil from me and who use it on their kids when they're super wound up when they're a little too like active um, or at the end of the day just to help like transition them into sleep you can use it on infants herbal body oils are safe and gentle medicine and and then it creates this really sweet soothing ritual between mother and child too when you're rubbing this oil on them and you can oil yourself while you're doing it you know especially as they grow older you can just sit there together on your towel like oiling up it feels so good uh, so I do make herbal body oils. We're like sold out of quite a lot of them right now, but you can you can go to mythicmedicine.love slash shop to see what we do have. And we're going to make more, especially it's springtime right now and the world is waking up again. The earth is waking up. So we're, we'll have more of our, our medicines back in stock this summer. Um, oh, someone asked, when does postpartum end? I read a really great answer to this years and years ago that said, like, if the kid is still in diapers, you're still postpartum. (laughs) And I thought that was so great. Like, yeah, I mean, seriously, I don't know. I would say maybe sometime between three and five. It just it's all about like how depleted you are for how long. Um, So for some people, the postpartum period might feel like it's over at two and a half when the kid is potty trained and they're like back at the gym and, you know, I don't know, rocking their life in some way because they have support because they were younger because they had good health from the beginning. But then for some of us, that period is going to last a lot longer and be a lot more drawn out. Like we were just more depleted from the get go. We didn't have the support we needed. Our child was more challenging in some way. Um, So I think that's different for everyone. And I think postpartum is probably a lot longer than some people think it is. It certainly isn't a few weeks or a few months. Um, Speaking of potty training, I just want to like put this little tip in here. Something that's really worked for me with both of my girls is we had the baby Bjorn potty, just like the little plastic throne potty seat in the house and I started putting both of my girls on it as soon as they could sit up on their own. And for like the first few weeks or month or so, I'd have to sit there with her because there's still the possibility of toppling. <laughs> um, but just getting them used to the idea that this is where your pee and poop should be happening, it it's so much better than waiting until they're two or three to all of a sudden introduce this thing. You're like, don't go in your diaper anymore now there's this they're like what 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 is this I don't know what you're talking about but both of my girls were potty trained at a really young age no not both of them I'm sorry the 18 month old is not potty trained at all but she is on her potty every day like figuring it out she does poop on there she does pee on there um and 
so potty training, at least with the oldest, like wasn't even a thing at all. We never once were like, now we're potty training. We just always had the potty out and always encouraged her to use it. We have a lot of like diaper free, uh, naked from the waist down time in, in our home. And elimination communication has been really great with both of my kids too. That's part of it. Just, you know, paying attention to their signals and knowing when they need to eliminate. Um, you can Google that. There's books. I I love doing EC, it's called. Oh, a number of women talked about like anxiety and worry. This is kind of like self-care. Like there's not an easy answer to this. Um, so for for anxiety, my, my main herbal recommendation always is herbal body oiling because it gets right down into the nervous system and completely chills you out and calms you down really quickly. I have said a thousand times that uh, oiling the body is going to calm you down faster than any herb you can take internally is going to while nourishing your cells at a really deep level. And then there's like lemon balm and, you know, other chilling out herbs that you that you can take in tea or tincture form. But also it's really, really normal to feel anxious once you become a mother. Like, how can you not? You just worked so hard to bring this person into the world and they are so vulnerable. Like for a lot of us, pregnancy and the postpartum period is just one big meditation on death and impermanence. Um, and this is not bad. This is not, you're not like going crazy if you're thinking a lot about death and impermanence as you make the transition into motherhood. Because guess what? Your baby is going to die someday. Your children are going to die someday. That's fucking fucked up, but it's true. And we live in a culture that, um, you know, denies death. If you've listened to this podcast or are familiar with my work at all, you know that I talk a lot about dying. It's a part of my work. And it's, um, it's toxic, to live in a culture that denies something that's inevitable that will happen to all of us that has already happened to the vast majority of humans who ever lived on the earth um and that fucking unbelievably will happen to all of our offspring and our descendants too so for a lot of people that realization whether it's like beneath the surface of their conscious thought or very much at the forefront of their conscious thought causes anxiety because they've never <laughs> faced death before they never thought about it before when i was pregnant with my oldest in the first trimester oh i was in a very dark place very very fixated on death in a really dark way it was hard and it was because i was so aware like this person hasn't even been born yet and she's gonna die and it was really fucking hard and sad. Um, but again, to talk about Brene Brown, I don't remember which book this is in because it's been years since I read it, but she talks about how in the many thousands of interviews she's conducted in her work, every single parent feels this. Um, you know, she talks about, I remember that moment when like you're standing over your kid's 
bed and they're asleep and you're looking at them and you're just like oh this little angel oh my heart is so full of joy this is the best thing that ever happened to me (gasps) something bad could happen to this child and then your mind usually goes specifically into picturing like the worst possible thing you can imagine and different different people picture different things based on your life experience like my mom died in a car accident so I picture my girls being in a car accident. Um, you know, there's just, there's so many, there's so many awful things that we can imagine. These school shootings lately, holy fuck, they're ruining me. And probably all of you moms listening to this too. Um, so it's really normal. She gives the example of herself of being in the car with her husband and all of a sudden having one of these moments when their kids were in the back where she was like oh this is so great and then all of a sudden he like she she had that she flashed on something bad happening to all them in the car so she like put her hand over on her husband and was like slow down steve and he was like i'm going the speed limit she's like oh you know so it's normal i don't know what else to say um i have a friend who's super easygoing so fun and lighthearted always has a smile on her face always and it's natural she's not faking it she's just one of the most happy people that I've ever known and I remember her her commenting to me that um, motherhood taught her what anxiety is like she had her kids in her late 30s and she like literally had not felt anxiety before having her kids and um, I just I get it what you know what the the world even if you're not a parent you are like bombarded by anxiety producing news social systems racial systems class systems every day it's a fucking fucked up time to be a human it's also beautiful and amazing there's so much potential but we are just all like at the mercy of these forces that are so much larger than us and again in a culture that doesn't support mothering in any way um so a few people talked about like energy and adrenal fatigue. And I just want to say, first of all, it's really not super important, like how we're, how we're languaging this, but recent research has shown that like adrenal fatigue is not a thing. You can find this online. It's been a huge buzzword in like alternative health circles for decades, right? Adrenal fatigue. Um, But basically, what research is now showing is that your adrenals don't burn out. Like, they're just not built that way. Um, What we're talking about here is like good old everyday exhaustion, which which affects multiple uh, systems in the body and is going to look slightly different for anyone. And this is another hard one. Like, I feel fucking exhausted every day, too. So I don't really have... um, the answer sorry three hawks just flew outside my window i've never seen three at once i've never seen more than one out around my house i love them so much um sleep obviously you knew i was gonna say sleep nettle infusion um nourishing nettle infusion comes to mind as just one of the most deeply nourishing uh replenishing for when you're depleted from motherhood herbal things that you can do for yourself, bone broth, really getting back to traditional foods, to the foods that have sustained humanity for all of time. Like, uh, yeah, there's these deeply nourishing, mineral-rich 
uh, foods that kind of get right into the cells and give them exactly what they need and what they expect as human beings. Um, other herbalists know a lot more about this than I do. I'd maybe look at the work of Aviva Ram. Aviva Ram is an herbalist, midwife, MD. She has four kids, so she is very, very well versed in like common mother motherhood um, ailments, including thyroid issues. If you have a thyroid issue, you need to Google Aviva Ram thyroid right now because she's got a ton of information out there. Um, oh, okay, I also wanted to share this research. For anyone who doesn't know, let me let me just read these five words first that I wrote here. Sleep training is self-care. <laughs> Getting back to those two topics. For me, sleep training was probably the greatest act of self-care I ever did. My husband and I look at each other like once a week and say, that was the best choice we ever made as parents. So many of the choices we know we make, I was saying this to um our a nanny that comes once a week the other day she's 20 and I was like you know I never know if I'm making the right choice with her like when to put her down for the nap because she's going through this weird nap transition um just like so many choices I'm like I let's try it and my husband will also often defer to me like you're the expert you know you've been parenting for 10 years longer than I have what should we do and I'm like I don't know <laughs> I'm not an expert at all. I'm fucking just trying. I'm like throwing, what's that thing? Like throwing things against the wall to see what sticks. And I just do what I think is best over and over again. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. There's like, there are so few ultimate answers in parenting. Um, Okay, so I want to talk about this research. And I, I think this was best presented in a book that came out a few years ago called All Joy and No Fun. Um, And she did a ton of like interviews and a lot of articles came out around the time this book came out. So you can kind of just maybe Google that phrase and then read some of those if you don't want to read the whole book. But basically what multiple, multiple studies have shown is that parents are less happy than non-parents, like significantly so. And that the more kids you have, the less happy you are. And that single parents are less happy than uh, partnered parents. So like that's a hard pill to swallow, right? Especially for those of us who really want kids. Um, But it's true. (laughs) We're so much more stressed, we're so much more stressed. Like I often liken having kids and the younger they are, the harder it is. Like the harder this aspect of it, it, like you're just, your mind, like I said, is so splintered. Your time is so fractured. Um, You're just, it's like you are absent. You are just this machine fulfilling people's needs. Um, so I often have this image in my mind as I'm going through my days with my toddler at my feet of like trying to climb a hill, like the hill of just paying bills and like remembering the really important shit that needs to get done and, um, like eating food, (laughs) sweeping the floor and just doing the laundry and just very basic human stuff. Climbing a hill with like weights 
dragging at your feet and pulling you back down constantly or you know it's just really like this the toddler holding your feet your children holding your ankles because it's them it's them and it's the society that we're living in um but uh, that's that's why we're unhappy because we're so fucking stressed trying to take care of everything and not having enough support to do it i'm sure that in other cultures cultures with paid maternity leave and more of like a village living system um parents aren't as unhappy as american parents are so the title of that book i've always kind of thought about it um all joy and no fun like i'm sure she explains what she meant in the intro i don't remember but like i feel joy multiple times a day with my kids i oh they're beautiful faces and when they smile and when they laugh and when we're snuggling and kissing or rubbing our cheeks next to each other when they achieve new milestones like it's just like a joy like I've never felt before but like I never really have fun or enjoy my life at this moment there's like uh (laughs) I don't know just like outings aren't enjoyable really with my with a toddler you know you have to remember to pack everything and you have snacks and you get there and they're freaking out or melting down or there's a problem with another kid or um they fell asleep in the car when you didn't think they were going to like there's it just there's not there's not space to really like enjoy anything or have fun um (laughs) i i read some like facebook status update or something recently that was like you know if you're going on vacation with little kids you're not going on vacation you're going on a trip you're going from point a to b but like nothing about this is vacation it's not relaxing you're not going to enjoy yourself you know for maybe any more than like a moment or two um so like you know no wonder we're less happy it's yeah again it's just sad it's so sad because so many of us want to be parents and because it's such a um a beautiful thing and i don't know and it's probably worth it <laughs> well for some of us it's worth it for some of us it isn't i guess what i'm saying the women who contributed their essays to regretting motherhood obviously it wasn't worth it for them um for me it it is worth it even though I feel totally insane. Um, but having having my kids 10 years apart, like I do, I do have firsthand experiential knowledge that it shifts and it changes and they grow up. And then you miss them when they were little. Like, oh my gosh, the last few years of my daughter's life, maybe once she hit seven, like when I would see photos or videos of her from when she was little, I would cry every single time. I couldn't help it. I was just like that little person, the, oh my God, that little face and that little voice. And I will never have that person back again. That three-year-old mycelia doesn't exist anymore and never will again. And that's like crushing and heartbreaking. So, you know, motherhood is such this weird weird thing where I for me at least like every day when they're little I remember this with with my oldest too I'm like can we just be out of this phase now can you just like 
grow up already. I just, I can't wait until you can wipe your own butt. I can't wait until you're at school part of the day so I can like take care of business. And then like this nostalgia and looking back being like, I want you to be that age again. (laughs) You know, it's, oh, dude, there's just so many paradoxes in parenting. I, that's, there's, there are no sure answers and there are so many paradoxes. Um, a few women wanted me to talk about being intentionally childless. I don't know what to say other than like, I'm all for it. You know, when people, when women tell me like, I don't think I'm gonna have kids. I'm like, good for you. I, I support you 100%. Like if you don't have that deep seated, like bodily longing to be a mom, then I support you not doing it. Um, like financially, logistically, not becoming a mom makes the most sense in our current society, the way it's set up. So I'm all for it. Like my sister not having kids, it breaks my freaking heart that I'm never going to be an auntie. Like I hate that. Um, You know, my mom had a really hard time knowing that she wasn't going to get grandchildren from my sister. Um, But at the same time, I'm like, I totally get it. You're making the right decision. (laughs) You are going to be happier. You're going to have so much more time on your hands. Um, Like, go for it if that's what you want to do. So, oh, man. Okay, here's... I, I will say, like, I was thinking about talking about generational health. But I really talked about that in the intro to the interview with Stephen Herod Buner, which was episode eight. It's something I think about a lot, like keeping myself healthy and giving my girls good food, nourishing herbs, outdoor play. I, I'm not just thinking about me or them. I am thinking about generations to come. I'm thinking about our descendants and I I will I will point you to the intro to that episode because I really get deep into generational health and a family I know who because of the choices that three generations now of mothers have made have really gotten their kids into a state of ill health and it's really sad to see. So a few people wanted me to talk about the maiden to mother transition. Um, especially because I did a post on Instagram pretty recently. Um, if you didn't see it and you want to check it out, I'm Mythic Medicine on Instagram. And it's a photo of me wearing like an orangish, like a rusty orange sweater standing in front of a mossy tree. And this post was about the idea of birth prana, which is an Ayurvedic term, or natal chi, which is the traditional Chinese medicine term. Basically, this idea that you are born with a certain amount of innate energy. Um, It's like the reservoir of energy from which you will draw throughout your entire life. And some things deplete this natal chi or this birth prana. And the thing that depletes it most, the things that deplete the most are motherhood. I mean, literally, you literally grow human beings out of the tissue of your body. And then you push them out in the biggest act of physical effort you will ever perform in your life. 
And then, if you breastfeed, you nourish them, again, from the very tissues of your body. So, I I mean, it's just like truly, it's truly physically depleting. Um, The other thing that, one other thing, to me, the other these are the two big things that deplete your reservoir of life energy is grief, extreme loss, extreme trauma of any kind. Doesn't necessarily have to be a loss. Um, Or at least not like the loss of another human being in your life. It can be like living in a war zone or being a refugee, you know, um, surviving a school shooting, like all, all sorts of things that lead to trauma. So I did a post about how between losing my mom and then immediately getting pregnant and having this other child, I just, I feel so depleted. And and one thing I talked about in that post was like the jealousy that comes up for me when I see other women online, especially other herbalists who I'm more likely to compare myself to because we're in the same realm who don't have kids and like they're posting about just their daily life and how they take care of themselves and like their cute flower bath and you know their morning dream journal and I'm just like oh how nice how very nice how lovely how lovely for you that you get to do that and these are women I love like I really am not meaning to talk shit at all this is just uh me and the area of my life that I'm lacking. So when I see other people aren't lacking it, it just envy comes up right away. And especially people who I know them a little better and I know their life story and like they've, they've not really had anything big and hard happen. Of course they had like that breakup that seemed tragic and and was tragic, but people who haven't had kids or gone through mega trauma and loss, I'm like, like, wow, you're working on a full tank that what a lucky place to be like you are so blessed and i'm very grateful that you are doing good things with your full tank you're like blessing the lives of others with your work and with your herbalism but holy shit i'm like so jealous of you right now (laughs) you don't even know how much free time you have that's what i think about all the time with non-parents you don't even know how much free time you have um i I have this thought a lot when when I've been talking to someone and they're like, um, I was talking to a woman last year and I was like, I'm just, I'm so, I'm so tired from this baby, you know? And she was like, oh my gosh, you know, tell me about it. I work full time. I'm so tired. And, then, and she doesn't have kids, right? And I'm like, oh, really? So All I'm hearing, you work 40 hours a week, that means that you are off 128 hours a week. You have 128 hours a week off. I have zero hours a week off. So do not try to like one-up me when we talk about tiredness. I really really feel like this is something that non-parents or people with older kids just like when a parent of a young child, a baby, like, I don't know, younger than three or four, anyone with a kid with sleep issues talks about being tired, just listen, just empathize, just tell them that sounds really freaking hard. Offer childcare support if you can do that. Don't, don't talk about how tired you are. Just don't do it. Just don't do it. Um, so 
Okay. One thing though that I talked about in that post that really seemed to resonate with people is the maiden to mother transition and how for me, even though I had my oldest at 25, I really don't feel like I stepped in to the mother archetype until I had my second at 35. And I I don't exactly know why. I think there's so much wiggle room here too. Like you don't necessarily become the mother just because you physically had a child. Um, a dear friend of mine, we might talk about this when I interview her on the podcast in the future, recently has gone through this thing where she feels like she just made the made into mother transition and she's not a mother. So this isn't just specific to motherhood, although many women feel that it, it is for them tied into the physical act of becoming a mom. Um, I don't, I don't quite know why that is for me, except that I wasn't really ready when I had my first, like I was so happy when I found out I was pregnant. Cause again, I'd always wanted to be a mom. Um, I mean, I was thrilled. We literally never once talked about not having that child. Um, but I was so young. I was so not prepared. I had no idea how hard it was going to be. Like I said, I had nothing as far as like material goods or financial resources or any sort of foundation upon which to build a life. Uh, her dad was even younger than me. We were just like scraping by trying to figure it out. I felt I felt like worthless a lot of the time because I wasn't producing anything in the world. I was just this nursing <laughs> machine. Um, I, I don't really know why it changed for me during those 10 years, except the loss of my mom was so big. I just It just made me grow up a lot, her loss. And then I immediately had to step into like learn all these bureaucratic financial things that I really didn't know about before like all this that I'm talking about because you know I um had to like take care of everything my mom left behind when she died so suddenly and so suddenly I'm like talking about 401ks and life insurance and mortgages and selling a house and putting a house on the market and um dealing with money and lawyers and just stuff that I had not had to do because I'd been so broke for so long I never had to like adult financially until my mom died so I think all those things kind of came together to initiate me into really feeling like a full-fledged adult a full-fledged mother and I don't know I don't know what it is I guess I'm just I don't have anything to offer here but I'm I think it can look so many different ways for different women. The made into mother transition. And like I was still like just so young and cute <laughs> until just a few years ago. When I look at photos of me, even though I had like a seven, eight, nine year old, I'm like, I don't even, I don't look like a mom. I look like a freaking teenager. Like I look so young and healthy and vibrant and carefree, um, even though I wasn't necessarily carefree. And a, just a lot of like bullshit kind of dropped from my life. I, I think that's part of becoming, stepping into the mother archetype is that I just stopped giving fucks as all the popular internet memes say nowadays. It just became very clear in my boundaries, very clear about what I need to survive and feel healthy and to be as present of a mom as I can be. 
as I can be, which I fail at a thousand times a day. Something else I think about all the time is that like motherhood just feels like constant failure, especially when they're younger. Uh, I posted about this sometime last year, like just failing again today, failing all day, failing every day, fail, 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 like try to get this done, fail, try to get that done, fail. You know, at the beginning of the day, I've got my to-do list and it seems entirely reasonable. Then by the end of the day, like half of one item got done, fail. And some, a woman posted like, you're not a failure. Don't beat your, don't do that to yourself. And she's not a mom. And I just want to be like, shut up. You don't, you don't know. I actually did fail today at the goals that I set for myself. And I understand that I'm kind of beating myself up right now and being harsher than I need to be. But like all the moms who commented on that post were like, I understand me too. I failed all day. It's, it's just, it is it is like a false way of framing it, but it also feels very real and is real when you have goals that seem really attainable and you cannot attain them because of the little people pulling you down that hill over and over again. So in conclusion, <laughs> I hope you feel less alone after listening to this. I, I, I kind of doubt that you feel like more hopeful. I don't know. It's not great time or place to be raising kids and that sucks and it's not your fault that it's hard and I hope you can find the community that you need around yourself in the best way you can and like the only truly helpful thing I can say is also so not helpful but it's true it passes they grow up you'll get through it um and then you'll be sad that they're not sweet little puffy angel-faced babies toddlers preschoolers kindergartners anymore um yeah not helpful but but true so okay thanks for listening i just wish that like you were sitting here with me in person and we were talking about all this and we had this big circle of women sitting around a fire with like the teenagers watching the kids nearby and we're all just sharing our stories and we're laughing and we're crying and we're all together and we're all taking care of each other and if the food is being made you don't have to worry about that and your kid is being watched you don't have to worry about that and there's no societal or financial pressures and you know you're safe and you know your needs will be met and this this picture that i'm painting is is how we evolved in hunter-gatherer societies is what we expect on the deepest level when we come into this life when we come into parenthood and it's not at all what we get it's the opposite of what we get so what you are doing is enough. Um, your mothering is enough. I'm so sorry that it's so hard. Let All we can do is keep sharing our stories and encouraging each other. That's all we can do is keep normalizing and validating the extreme challenges of parenting in America in the 21st century. <sighs> I see you and I feel you and I love you. 
Thank you for taking these medicine stories in. I hope they inspire you to keep walking the mythic path of your own unfolding self. I love sharing information and will always put any relevant links in the show notes. You can find my blog, Handmade Herbal Medicines, and a lot more at mythicmedicine.love. While you're there, be sure to click the black banner across the top of the page to take my quiz, Which Magical Herb is Your Spirit Plant? It's a fun and lighthearted quiz, but the results are really in-depth and designed to bring you into closer alignment with the medicine that you're in need of. If you love the show, please consider supporting my work at patreon.com slash medicine stories. Um, there's some cool rewards there, like exclusive content, free access to my herbal ebook and online course, and the ability to chat with me. I am a crazy busy and overwhelmed mom and adding another project into my life with this podcast is a questionable move, but I'm also so excited about it and just praying that the Patreon will allow me the financial wiggle room to keep doing it. Another way that you can support if that's not an option is to head over to iTunes and subscribe and review the podcast. That would be super helpful. Thank you. And thank you to Marie Sue for providing the music that I use. That's Marie with two E's, S-I-O-U-X. This is from her song, Wild Eyes, one of my favorites. Uh, check out Marie Sue. Beautiful music. Thank you, and I look forward to next time. Bye. <laughs>